Welcome, Welcome to, to Art with <laughs> Fiona Verity. Say it again. Fiona? No. Fiona Verity. And Julie Nicholson. Today we are at the Opera House offices and we are speaking to artist Ollie Bowne and who is an associate professor at the University of New South Wales in Sydney and Stuart Buchanan, head of screen for Sydney Opera House. They are teaming up to create a digital artwork for the Opera House's 50th anniversary, exploring how emerging technologies and human creativity can create works of intrigue and celebration. Wow. I I struggled even saying that, let alone knowing what the hell it is. So... I've done quite a bit of research into what you're doing and I am a little bit confused about what it actually is, Mm. if you could expand, It sounds so exciting, but we're struggling Mm. with a visual. Yeah. And, you know, depending on which day of the week it is, I'd probably give you a different answer. Um, But on one one hand, it's a 744-hour artwork. So it's a durational artwork that lasts the whole of the month of October. Yeah. Um, and another way of explaining it, it's where the the Opera House uh, will become the performer. The Opera House will itself take to the stage for the 50th. That was the kind of the genesis of the idea was here we are at the 50th. And there's a lot of looking back at the history of the Opera House and the opening of the house. And we sort of thought, what happens next? Can we project forward? And one of the sort of stupid yeah. ideas that we sort of have in discussion is, well, why about the Opera House becomes the performer? Yeah. Um, and from there is a quick step to... It generates a lot of data. There's a process, a very fancy word process called data sonification, basically turns data into sound. Um, what, ki- what kind of data? Well, Ollie, you can, um, do you want to, you, you're, you're probably the person. Well, sorry, to Stuart, you keep going. I'll keep and going, then I'll tell you what's yeah, yeah, So turning data into music. And once you've, got, once you've got that idea of turning data into sound or data into music, um, that becomes then the kind of, the totality of the project, which is we're going to take the, the data that the Opera House generates for a month, turn it into music, so the Opera House itself is is singing or is performing, more to the point, and then, you know, Ollie comes on board and that becomes something bigger and bolder even than that. So, Ollie, do you do some wizardry and make, turn it into something else? Uh, I do a bit of wizardry and I have a really awesome team that does a whole lot more wizardry. Um, so we yeah we have a few people involved and there's there are a lot of moving parts in the project. So the the pipeline of the whole thing is basically that the building is constantly generating data. It's got a management, you know, computer controlled management system, state of the art. Um, it, it measures all of the, you know, the, the measurables, the temperature, the CO two uh, levels, and so on throughout the building. Loads and loads of other stuff, like more than we could possibly get our heads around. Um, and then it, it operates a series of uh, chillers, uh, cooling system that, that uh, actually uses the Sydney Harbour water, pumps it in, uses it to cool the, the Opera House. Um, and there's a massive load of constraints about how that's done. You can't heat the water up too much, otherwise you're not allowed to pump, you're not allowed to pump water out um, above a certain temperature. Um, there's efficiency issues. Uh, when the venue fills up, it's like a sudden massive change in in a, you know, of warm bodies in a room. Um, so we've spent a lot of time working with the uh, with the Sydney Opera House um, building management system people, uh, learning how this all works, uh, and then getting this feed of data. 
And then we don't just turn those numbers into musical notes or volumes or anything as literal as that. A lot of previous data solidification work works on that basis. We do something a bit more funky. The brief was to use AI in interesting ways. So we actually use GPT, the famous language model that everybody's using, that we wanted to really explore its kind of potential to sort of interpret that data, to understand it, and then to translate that into descriptions of music. And then at the other end of the whole pipeline, we've got a whole load of a massive database of music that's been of sound segments that have been generated using sound from the Opera House. And then there's a whole load of micro detail about how the data gets converted into the musical descriptions. Wow. So one of the nice things about working that way is that we get to have real control over how it sounds. If you're working with very low-level data solidification, the numbers are coming in and making sounds happen, then the data really controls what's happening, but you don't have a lot of aesthetic control. Whereas the way we're doing this is quite a separation. So we get to be very interpretive about that data, but also still use it to drive what happens in the soundtrack. So you're copying the data into GPT, and then it's then bringing out sounds. Yeah. No. No, because you're taking sounds. You're taking sounds from the opera. So I'm imagining everything and anything from chatter, laughter, toilets flushing, machines. Yeah. 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 Um, glasses breaking, yeah. babies crying. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. Ollie, you once described it to me, I don't know if it's still in the process, um, but you so described it to me as, you know, what you, the, there's a kind of series of translations. And what I mean by that is the data is translated into one thing, which then is translated into another, which then the music reads. And one of the, one of the ways that we were talking about early on was the idea that we translate the data into essentially plain English. You know, um, and then so 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 rather than kind of going here's data make sound, you go the data's turn, translated to plain English, which might be it's getting cold or it's getting warm or it's getting busier, and uh, that's what then the music is is sort of fed from. Oh, I see. Make it make the music more busy. Make yeah, the music yeah, more yeah, cold, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got it. I've got it. So so the so the AI in the middle is sort of translating data into something else, i.e. <sighs> sort of plain English or words, mm-hmm. that then is much easier to then, you know, sort of map that onto music, right? Because And it'll be really exciting at night, like late at night and early hours of the morning when you might get some really surprising things. Yeah. Ghosts. And, and this is happening... <laughs> well, well, yeah. In your, there is a ghost tour of the Opera House. I mean, yeah, that's here. true. Yeah, so yeah. the durational yeah. piece is a very long piece. Yeah. You, so is it live data feeds that is then being fed through the AI and it's coming back real yeah. time? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, the, the whole heart of this project is that, is that it's a real-time system that runs on its own. And the fun thing about uh, about what, using a tool like GPT, I, I don't know if you've played with it. But oh, oh, yes. yes. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And no, no, my lecturers at university, I'm not using yeah, it. never touched it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's very... It's a very interesting medium for working with. I mean, we don't we don't take it you know seriously. We know it, we know it makes lots of um, mistakes and so on. So the the goal really is just is just the fact that you can sort of prime it with with um, knowledge about 
how the building behaves. And then when the data comes in, it's able to say, you know, that's, you know, the room's about to fill with people. And so, therefore, we might have a, you know, a piece of, you know, sounds that are rising in tension. Or at night, it's calm and quiet. I mean, it's very simple stuff. But again, it means that we have the ability to really insert an interpretive layer to what we're actually doing with the data and not just drive sound off that. I've never heard anything. No, this sounds so interesting. I think it would be really fascinating to draw from what you're going to make. You know what I mean? Like have it reinterpreted again. That's just purely from a... My perspective. Yeah. Well, the other part of it, um, Ollie, is um, is visuals because the, because yeah. the other because the other part of the brief was if this is going to be up for seven hundred and forty four hours, how are people going to engage with it? How are they mm, going to yeah. listen to it? And you know, we talked a lot about trying to pipe it through the speakers in the opera house, which we still hope to do to some extent. Um, but certainly, having it live online that that, that anybody can go and visit at any time yeah. was a core part of that. And then once you start thinking at that level, you think, well, they want something to look at. They want some visuals to go with it. Definitely. So just, you know, while Ollie's trying to do everything that he's just mentioned and work all that out, all that wizardry, to then throw something else on top, which is, oh, um, with visuals would be great. And can they also be generative as well? Um, so do you How are you t- doing that? Yeah. Uh, in much the same way. So um, all of the audio is being generated using um, existing... I mean, some of it's hand-composed, but uh, we're, we're taking this opportunity to explore different ways of doing AI generation. So that AI generation is not live. It's being done up front in advance. Uh, so same with the video. We're using uh, AI you know, video generation tools. Again, you've probably seen them in, in action and, or, or even played with them. Um, and similar thing, we're, we're, we're building a kind of bank of video. Uh, we're not going into as much detail on the, on the video side as we are with the audio. The, the, the piece is audio first, um, so, the, so the complexity of the piece is happening in the audio. The video is a bit more of a, just a sort of uh, support to the audio. Um, but that is basically driven by what's going on um, according to the Opera House schedule. So yeah. um, we've, we've just mapped out everything that's going to happen um, for the month of October and, and put that to video. Oh, wow. okay. It's so it's like sort of one of those owl cams, but with like, but it's live, and and there's sound. All yeah, I, I've got it because I think people will be super interested in this. But it, as with anything AI and anything GPT, new, it needs yeah. to be sort of explained from the fi- I, I five year old. Yeah, up. you have to see it as well. I think to or hear it to yeah. get your yeah. head around it. Yeah. There's a chance. There's a there's a chance to scratch your head and say, I'm not quite sure I can make the association between the music and the building. But there's a there's there's a process of, of sort of learning how it works as as you go. So in the tide room, we also have um, the tide room is one of the spaces in your house, and we've got it's a small projection space, and uh, there's a few dedicated nights. And in that room, we've got data. Also on the live stream, we've got some of the data is being is being sort of uh, reported in real time. So that you can start to sort of see what's going on, and then and then you'll be able to read more about how the how the elements are connected. So, have you been putting um, recording devices like spies around the opera house? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so back to the sound. You, you, you mentioned toilets flushes and flushing and glasses clinking. 
It's quite specifically curated sound in the sense that we wanted to focus on the building, the behavior of the building itself. So the main sound is actually all of the mechanisms under the house, which are vastly, you know, just continuous drones that are not particularly exciting sound on their own, but they are actually amazing textures. So for the composition team, which is Uncanny Valley, they're a music production studio based in Sydney, this has been this incredible wealth of just sort of sonic texture that then using AI techniques you can turn into melodies and chords and tune it all together. So the whole soundscape, not only using opera house sounds, but a lot of the soundscape has got those elements in. And then the other really essential sound element, if you think, you know, how is this amazing music venue, which is also an incredible building, you know, what's the point that brings those two things together? Well, the obvious answer is the grand organ, which is the organ in the console. It's the largest mechanical tracker action organ in the world. It's got 10,000 pipes. It's an absolutely phenomenal piece of equipment. It's an instrument the size of a building. It is. It's epic. I've seen it several times in action, and it does give you goosebumps. It really is spectacular. Yeah, it's phenomenal. So we just said we have to have that as part of the soundscape. There's no way you can do this concept without that thing that really connects the building as a performer, if you like. So we went and recorded that and did the same thing. We're using lots of processes then to bring that into the composition. Wow. Wow. Because, so what... Would have been nice if we could just play the organ live from the day. Well, for 744 hours. Exactly. That would be in the Guinness Book of Records. You'd have to pay him a lot. So... Well, it has MIDI, so that organ can actually be played for like... That's a project for another time. That's another idea. Yeah, exactly. Well, because this collaboration with sort of humans but more so like you know the the digital aspect of it like do you think the next step is that humans are going to be out of the equation in in these things i mean ollie you as you know someone who's a sort of professor in that area more well equipped than than i am but i think one of the purposes of this project and and another ai project we did a, a couple of months ago on a much smaller scale was really based on seeing a lot of the discourse around, a lot of the sort of negative yeah. discourse around AI, a lot of kind of frightening discourse, yeah. which has some basis in, in some mm. of that discourse. But what you what's missed a lot of the time is is a kind of positive discourse about it. What 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 are the benefits to artists? Mm. And so this project and the last project were really the the, the brief that we gave them was how do we essentially pre- present AI as a positive creative force within an artist's practice? How do they bring that into their practice? And um, the last one we did, which was called Sonic Mutations, uh, with two artists called Alexis Weaver and, and Rowan Savage, and some creative technologists called Kopi Sue, um, a much smaller scale, but the, the, the trick we gave to them was do a live show with AI. Yeah. And so they both did like 15-minute sets or kind of you know, 10, 10 to 15-minute sets. And they both did it in completely different ways. You know, uh, Rowan um, spoke into the microphone and using the tool they developed, his voice was turned into 
the sound of a crow, <gasps> but the crow was actually speaking the words that he had spoken originally, oh, stop so, it. which was incredible to who. And then Alexis, who worked on it, she um, created her own kind of AI version of her voice, and so she was singing in ways that she couldn't perform as a, as a vocalist, yeah. you know, um, but it's clearly her voice. She'd programmed it and she was weaving that. It's she was weaving that into her mix. Yeah. So there was a, you know, the humans, if you like, had total agency in those scenarios, creating work that they couldn't create by themselves, sure. but were using AI to kind of board onto it. So Ollie, maybe sort of take it from there. I think maybe. Yeah, I think it's a similar thing for us is that we're obviously doing a work that, um, is enabled by this technology. So this this particular work, I mean, it could exist in other ways, but um, you know, the, the 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 power to generate in those ways um, in, enables doing work like this. And one of you know one of the interesting areas that I've been looking at in my research is uh, lots of companies trying to build platforms for uh, what some people call infinite music or, or adaptive music, like music that. You know, rather than listening to an album, you put on a stream, and that stream is being generated, and it's being it's adapting according to. It might be for a workout or relaxation, or it might be just more sort of playful, like uh, responding to what's going on on the news. Um, so, adapted music is an area that a lot of people are interested in, and of course, that's um, that's that's sort of a completely new idea, and it's an idea that's only really possible through certain technologies like this. Um, but, it, but at the same time, of course, it still it still occupies people's listening space. So if, you know, even even if it's using techniques that don't infringe on other artists and and so on, it still uh, it still has the potential to undermine musicians, musicians' revenue, people's attention. Um, so I'm sort of watching that space because it's all very, very much up in the air. Like legally, it's very much up in the air. People are mm. taking things to court cases now. Um, there's lobbying of governments all around the world for and against different types of copyright control on uh, on, on data and data privacy. It's a, it's a massive mess right now, um, and it's going to it'll be very messy for a lot of people because a lot of companies are sort of putting big money into this and their business plans might be upended by policies and, you know, you know the story. Mm. And, and, and I guess the, 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 the sad thing overall is a lot of people could just do without this kind of chaotic change in the world, especially mm. musicians and artists are just about probably adapted to the world of streaming. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I mean in my position, I've, I've researched this area for years, so I'm excited to see it happen. Mm. But I'm also increasingly uh, in my role as an academic, like very, very keen to see that the, the um, you know the world doesn't go down a wormhole of awful AI generated music. Yeah, <laughs> and I like the digital Oppenheimer, yeah, Ollie. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you? But do you? How do you um, give uh, artists the confidence then, perhaps that? AI isn't going to sort of steal their opportunities? Uh, well, I mean, I think we need to be really honest. Like, I think I think some of the products that are being made will undermine um, artists. But, I mean, it'll be very uneven across the board. So the, the, my view and sort of a lot of the conventional wisdom I've seen is that, you know, in, in sort of commercial applications like 
um, putting putting music on adverts and that sort of thing. Mm. There's going to be a drive towards this because it just cuts costs. Um, whereas in musical culture, people listening to, to artists and connecting and enjoying listening to music for music's sake, uh, we're always going to be uh, first and foremost interested in human connection. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, And I think that ultimately when you're um, participating in art, whatever form it is, whether it's music or um, visual arts, you want the human, or I definitely want the human um, connection. And as much as I enjoy a piece, seeing a piece and getting close to a piece, I want to know a bit about the person who's made that. So I guess if it's AI generated, you're, you're not going to get that. I mean, the other way to look at it is is precedent. Um, and um, there's a musician and writer who um, we, we worked with recently from the States called Claire L. Evans, who um, I think on a podcast a few years ago made, made this analogy where she talked about the drum machine. And when the drum machine first came into view in the 1970s, I think the Musicians' Union in the UK were up in arms about it. They were taking out ads in the trade press and saying, we have to stop the drum machine because drummers are going to be out of business. Yeah. Um, and that was, the, that was the fear, which you can sort of map to some of the discourse around AI that's happening at the moment. Yeah. What happened with the drum machine is that a bunch of artists who were, they were not the intended market for the drum machine, they weren't drummers, but a bunch of artists got a hold of it um, and started playing with it in ways that were, was not intended to be used. Mm. And out of that, techno was born and electronic yeah. music was born by, <laughs> by people essentially using that in ways that were unprecedented. And one of the kind of potential tangents for AI, I think, Ollie, is, is that, you know, something similar may happen. There may yeah. be there may be music and sounds that are generated through AI with full human agency um, that are brand new that we've never heard before. Yeah. You know? And Definitely. so that's that's one possible trajectory whereby that if we can and that's part of what these projects are about is to kind of give artists confidence and positivity about playing with the tools to see it's inevitable it's going to happen. So try and get a, get in if not in front of it, get with it. So yeah, that, understand it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Use it for and your own. And use it. Yeah. Use it definitely. Yeah. I mean, I know that um, I'm being told um, I'm currently studying at National Art School and my son's at University in Canberra ANU and we're being told use it as a research tool you know it's so good it saves you time so i think maybe from a creative background do the same thing use it as a resource as opposed to be scared scared of it we just won't know what people are going to do with this at all like as you say like it will literally be something we haven't even thought of i assume that that will come out of it and it's it's hopefully won't degenerate jobs and you know blow up the world yeah maybe there'll be loads of new jobs (laughs) i I don't know yeah Yeah. exactly it's it's who knows yeah but so i could essentially like one of the negative things is what you were talking about before i can't sing i've realized that now (laughs) and if i were to get on stage and have an ai put my voice through something to then come back as a really good voice and no one would know. I guess we got that with auto-tune to some extent, you know, like some of that, some of that exists. There's some, you know, some technology, for example, that an artist called Holly Herndon uses who essentially, um, you know, she has a tool whereby anybody can get on stage and sing and it's her voice that comes through, which is amazing. Like Holly Herndon's, I guess, one of, one of the foremost musicians working in the AI space who's, um, who's, who's terrific. I guess just, you know, sort of spooling back a little bit to what we were just talking about, like, 
technology, you know, it invariably is driven by large commercial tech companies and invariably, you know, artists, if you like, are not necessarily in the mix as far as development goes, as far as testing goes in terms of what is this tech, how is this technology going to be used? And, I, you know, and, and I really feel there's a space for us to be trying to kind of, you know, it's, it's sorry, it's, it's, it's a little bit um, socialist in that sense, but it seize the means of production, you know, get a hold of it because otherwise the tech companies are going to dictate how it's going to be used, yeah. how it's going, who the audience is, what the features and functions are going to be, which could be limiting for artists. So the more that artists can grapple with it and you know, perhaps they'll be able to have some voice or some agency in, in, in future development. Yeah, as well. definitely. Mm. No, I agree because it otherwise ends up going down the route of social media where you're being told or the how the news is now you're just being fed one side and it's fright that's what i find frightening yeah, yeah. and we didn't you know when when mark zuckerberg was sitting in a bedroom you know comparing photos of women on his original version of facebook yeah he didn't think he was going to undermine democracies around the world with this tool but there it is you know no. 20 years and it later. is quite frightening those men that they're going to now do it pit fight or whatever it is ridiculous people (laughs) (laughs) well i think you know anything designed by humans with humans involved is going to be a shit show like it's going to be beautiful and it's going to be terrible and it's going to be everything in between and it always has been and it always always will will be be. so i don't we can't be surprised about what it's going to throw out if anything it's quite exciting Right, so yep. people can yep. log on to the live stream through Anytime. the website yep. of the Opera House. Yep. Oh, I think yep. I'm just going to have it running. Yeah. Well, that was one of the things. The, the other one, Ollie, <laughs> I guess the other touch point we talked about was that, um, you know, the YouTube channel Lo-Fi Chill Beats, which is, you know, a, a, a continual stream of music that you can have in the background. Um, and so the idea of having it on for 744 hours seemed sort of logical in that regard because now a lot of people are just turning to that single perpetual stream running in the background yeah you know um rather than having an algorithm like spotify making, yes. making chaotic choices for well, and i, and I look at it and i go I, why do you think i'd like that <laughs> on my spotify it's like when my husband bought me a kylie dvd i was like oh, you don't know me no nah, you don't know me at all <laughs> <laughs> can you explain what uncanny valley Bloody great name. What is Uncanny Valley? Uh, well, so the, I don't know if you know the origin of the name, but the, 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 the term Uncanny Valley uh, refers to this phenomenon that was um, observed in human-robot interaction many years ago, where if something's uh, very unhuman-like, there's nothing weird about that. If something's completely... If you, if you encounter a human, then you encounter a human. There's nothing weird about that. If you encounter a robot that's mostly like a human but has a couple of weird features that just kind of make it a bit wrong, um, people's sort of disgust reaction, or um, I can't remember exactly what they're measuring, but people's response to that is like uh, horror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it's like bad, you know, Stephen King movie or something. You know, Stepford Wives. Yeah. 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 Um, so that was described as the uncanny valley because on a, on a graph, um, ah. you know, you're... you're uh, again, I can't remember the measurable, but it's something like you know, shock or horror or something like that. Some uh, affective uh, response go, kind of drops and then goes back up again, depending on how similar to a human is. Uh, so they, um, the company Uncanny Valley uh, has nothing to do with robots. They, uh, <laughs> they play music. 
they they uh, they are a classic production studio. They make music for TV, for reality TV, Big Brother, MasterChef, um, quite a few well-known Australian shows, uh, cricket themes and things like that. Uh, they're very good at what they do, uh, and they uh, they just love to play with technology. So they chose that name, and they've always had a bit of an AI experimental arm to what they do. So we've done a couple of projects together. We, we put in a submission to the first ever um, AI song contest and ended up winning. Oh, very good. Did you get a trophy? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, oh, disappointing. Um, I didn't do it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, we've, done another, we've done a similar project to this for um, ANU, actually, um, for their School of Cybernetics, where we, where we um, that sort of... You know, lead up to this, it's, it's a similar idea of turning the building and the environment into, into music. Uh, yeah, and I think, I think that that's, uh, that's going to be a very interesting future. You know, the, the, their interest initially was, well, well, they can see the writing on the wall. Like, we're, you know, we're film music composers or TV music composers. We're the ones that are going to get ousted first of all. So let's get into this AI thing and just have some fun with it. Um, and for a long time, we talked about what kind of you know, product that they might make, and then at some point they 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 sort of you know in an enlightened way they said no you know we make music that's what we do and we want to carry on doing that so they we, we've got much more into this space of experimental art projects which is more my company. yeah yeah it's awesome I was going to ask both of you like what what's the most exciting thing you've seen in in this field as well like around the world or what have you obviously your own work but I mean you know what's really exciting that you're seeing um well i mean historically there's 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 very very interesting people in this area um i mean just to pluck some names out of the air like uh uh the artists for for me the most interesting artists are the ones that actually work with code as a kind of craft because they can get really into the detail of uh housekeeping works so there's an artist called garden 11 who um, who is sort of very reputed for this? He will he will build interactive artworks, and he'll he's a he's a you know very good programmer, so he'll he'll sort of optimize them to work really well. Um, he's got wonderful works where um, they're you know the uh, interactive performance where um, dancers are performing, but behind them are projections that are responding to what they do. I mean these, these are historical works. Um, uh, Sort of playable instruments where you make silhouettes with your hands and that turns into sound, but the the way it's done is just incredibly elegant. Hmm. So that's the, that's the kind of work that excites me. Um, in the AI area, um, Stuart mentioned people like Holly Herndon. They were doing sort of conceptually very interesting stuff, like the idea that you could make your voice into a into a tool that other people can use. And that's uh, that's in, in electronic music. That I think that's a practice more generally. Just the idea that an electronic musician would actually release a piece of software that was sort of embodied their creative practice is something that um, is just becoming increasingly common, uh, but has a very interesting history. So lots of artists have done that, and well-known artists. I mean, like Bjork, in a, in a sense, was one of the most well-known for. Uh, doing that big biophilia release uh, several years ago where she made a bunch of iPad apps for the album. So that really sort of you know, shifted how we might think about music experience exactly in the way that we're talking about today with, with the idea of music that doesn't just uh, exist in the form of a 
Recording. Mm, she is good. She job. Is what about you, Stuart? So what's, creative. What's, we're just coming off, just quickly tailing off the back of that. I mean, the other artist who's working with AI in quite a different way, I think, is Grimes, who has mm. essentially sort of um, allowed for her voice to be used essentially as a kind of open, semi open source model. So anybody can sort of take her uh, voice and make their own music. And if they release that and that becomes commercially successful, she gets 50% of the profits. That's the, that's the deal that she struck with people that are doing that. Um, I was listening to her interview a couple of weeks ago where she said she's starting to hear some of the fruits of that coming through. Yeah. And there's two things that are surprising, and one of which is a lot of the stuff is better than the stuff that she could ever write. That's what, from her words. You know, this, yeah. is like, this is amazing. This is like Grimes on steroids or whatever. But also people um, using her voice in genres that she's never thought of and never oh. experienced. So she said one of the most interesting things is actually for her creative practice is listening to all this and giving her ideas Definitely. for her own yeah, so it's like well, throwing an idea yeah. out yeah. into a group of people and, and getting feedback. Yeah. So it's that brain, is so clever. Yeah. Brainstorming yeah. without having to be at the meeting. Yeah. And she's very relaxed about it. if if something's a hit and something goes, you know, it's you know, it has her name on it, but it's not her. She's she seems at the moment anyway quite relaxed about that and quite quite in favour of it. Um, well, all these work that, that we're doing here is is a, is part of a kind of broader um, ambit of the Opera House that I. The, that I run in uh, in the screen program, which is um, looking at how artists are using technology in their practice. But because we're the opera house, it's performing arts rather than rather than visual yeah. arts, um, and so that kind of cuts across you know lots of different things. But um, I guess the primary area that we've been working on, we've done a couple of projects on it now, is around motion capture um, and about using live dancers in in a space, capturing their movement, and having that then um, essentially kind of extrapolated in to um, avatars dancing on screen hmm. behind them. We did the first project of that in uh, 2022 uh, with an artist called Serwa Arafua, who you, you might know. Um, and then this year we, we um, uh, sorry, 21, and then in, uh, last year we did another one with uh, Lu Yang um, mm-hmm. using their kind of doku system of, of avatars. Mm-hmm. And the one, the, the difference there was we had the dancer in Sydney, motion captured, mm-hmm. Lu Yang's avatars dancing in the background, there was also a performer in Hong Kong doing exactly the same thing. And that performance was then brought together in both of our spaces. So we had two dancers essentially dancing together with their, you know, uh, their motions captured. And so they appear on screen together. But one's in one part of the world and one's in the other part of the oh, world. Oh, that's cool. And they meet together and essentially... Yeah. The virtual world, quote-unquote. Um, and that wow. was, you know, from a technology point of view, was... Uh, quite insane um, conceptually, but we worked with the West Kowloon Cultural District, a venue called Free Space, and together all the kind of uh, various great kind of tech heads um, made it real. So that really sort of opened up a whole lot of um, thoughts around, well, what does it mean to present work live if you can do it in in another location? Mm. What does that mean for a work that has to tour? You know, do you need to bring... 20 people and a truck full of sets or is there another way that you can tour yourself um, you know kind of work tour but the artists are, are different in each mm. state and so on so it sort of throws out a whole possible um, sort of different ways of, of, yeah, ways of making of, performance and right? ways of consuming performance exactly because yeah. I guess you know the more we head towards the realities of climate change and you know we only have to look at the COVID times to see that you know parts of of the world were clean and the sky was blue in Delhi and you know, places that perhaps alternative ways of of viewing art mm. is yeah. the way forward. Well and the 
Brexit obviously completely ruined touring around Europe for a lot of UK (laughs) performers. So, you know, that kind of virtual touring might be very handy for a lot of people. And I think a lot of this stuff sort of does democratise a lot of the art world, right? Like what you don't need to go to Vienna to see an orchestra piece. You can, you can see it at the opera house and, and, you know, you can afford, people can afford to do that. I mean, there's a barrier to, there is a barrier to entry around, um, like virtual reality or VR. And there's one reason why I've sort of in, in programming the opera house have shied away from it a little bit, because essentially if you want to see a work in AR, well, you would either have to, go to a venue where they've got some headsets, yeah. which is what, you know, um, I think Bjork did at Carriage Works 10 years ago, you know, they had half a dozen headsets in a room and a thousand people waiting to get in. And of course, a thousand people with six headsets, that correlation just doesn't work, <laughs> right? Um, no. Or or you do it on your own headset, which is all very well, but headsets are 500 bucks, yeah. you know, so it's not, so the VR work, whilst it's beautiful and, you know, you can go to these immersive spaces and have We're these not great there experiences. Yet with the... Well, it's very, it's privileged insofar yeah. in so as you need to have access to that hardware in order to access that art. So until such times as that, is you know much more affordable and is mm. you know much more kind of equitably distributed. Then it's sort of something that I'm a little weary of. Yeah, of yeah fair is that like what Meta's done right with this? Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think people human, we, we're still human, and we don't like the faff. It's like when they had 3D home glasses. cinemas; it never took off because oh, no. everyone lost their glasses. They couldn't be asked to wear them. Yeah. Like I just think people just still want to be human. They don't want yeah. that sort of. It'll be less faff. I mean, the Apple one, you know, the Apple one that they brought out is will be considerably less faff in its, you know, in all its Apple beautiful kind of just yeah. works glory. Yeah. But it's also three times the price of every other one. You know? mm. so, and it'll uh, have uh, the charges. And you look be... like a prat walking around in it, really, don't you? It doesn't matter what you look like, Julie. <laughs> so when can people um, log into the live stream and see this? Yeah, well, it's very easy to remember because it's on for October. The whole of October, from the 1st till the 31st. I needed to do my 30 days, has September. Yeah. 31 days well in done. October. Yes. Um, but also, during that time, we're going to be uh, presenting it in situ at the Opera House, um, in a little space that we don't open very often, a beautiful little architecturally designed space um, that we refer to as Tide. I won't go into the genesis of that name. Um, but we're going to be there the 6th, 7th and 8th of October, from uh, 6.30 to 9.30, it's free to attend. And uh, members of Ollie's team at Uncanny Valley will be there in person to, if you want to have a chat and ask them some questions and they can talk about um, how it's all working. Fantastic. And that, that's like the performance. No, the that would be just... Spe- what kind of space is it? Uh, well, it's commonly actually used for our tours. So if you come and do a tour of the Opera House, yeah. you, you go you, in you this special little space room. and you get this film presentation, beautiful film presentation about the Opera House and then and then you leave. But we very rarely open the doors to public. I think this is only the sort of second or third time that we've, we've done it in the last couple of years. Um, so it's a beautiful, special little space. You actually walk down a corridor and you'd walk right past it. There's like a secret door. You know, oh, and, uh, sounds I very love Harry it. Potter. I'm coming. It. I'm coming. And it's yeah. basically just turn up. And yeah, so it's 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 free, and it's you don't need to reserve. It's it's first in best dressed. Definitely great. I'm going to take my son. What if you have like Bjork and you have a thousand people <laughs> outside? Yeah, exactly. That's oh, a great problem. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, it's five hours wait. 
thank you both of you for yes, thanks talking for your time to us and telling us thank all you. about it and we're very, very excited yeah fantastic thank you ollie and thank, thank you stuart you. Thank, thank you very you. much thank you thank you